Well, it's interesting because, you know, it's not like from one day to another that you become that other person. You actually build skills over time. We work for like the software that chemical engineers use to design all kinds of things, pipelines, uh, refineries, things like that. We made that. So I uh, opened my own business and started single dad, four kids, and doing everything I can to make life happen. <laughs> Welcome to Cross Pollination. We're a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. What happens when a major regional industry takes a hit and jobs are part of the fallout? What can people do as individuals who work in that industry? That's a question a lot of Albertans who currently or previously worked in oil and gas and related industries have had to consider over the last few years. And not only in Alberta. Changes in work, industries and economies mean people everywhere globally often need to reinvent what they do for work. The days, if they ever existed where you live, of working for the same company in the same profession for 30 years are long gone. Career reinvention is pretty much an essential skill, and it's what three previous oil and gas employees, Carl, Natalie, and Clark, talk about in this two-part episode. They're three dynamic Albertans who've taken courageous jumps to create new jobs and new careers for themselves in new sectors as their region changes. Carl Landra, who some of you may know as the fantastic host of the Fourth Line Hockey Podcast, our fellow member on the Alberta Podcast Network, was a chemical engineer at a software company. He's now a teacher. Natalie Drochar reinvented herself before in immigrating to Canada from Switzerland, finding work in a new area and a new language, as well as creating a whole new life. In Canada and oil and gas, she worked in administration in a corporate office and is now an apprentice hiking guide in the outdoor industry. Clark Bull Meisner worked as an electrician in the oil sands, and he's the proud dad of four young kids, who you'll hear in the background. They've been a big factor in the thinking behind his career change to work in solar energy. Carl, Natalie, and Clark make big changes that take different thinking, new and existing skills and talents, and they're looking to new futures. These episodes focus on what the rest of us can learn from what they've done and how they've done it. They start by telling us about their work before they changed careers. I, I worked, like I said, in software, and we worked for like the software that chemical engineers use to design all kinds of things, pipelines, uh, refineries, things like that. We made that. And so, and I, I worked there, I worked at the same company uh, the entire time I, I was working in, the, in that industry. So, uh, what, nine years by the time I left. I was in different departments. Uh, I was in uh, public affairs for a little bit when I first started. And uh, I was an admin most of the time because I haven't down university in uh, Canada. And so then I moved on to different departments that were more production and assistant to uh, the managers and the team and their teams. And so I uh, did that. And then I ended up doing uh, two, three years being an assistant and a bit of technical, technical assisting uh, of the team of engineers. Yeah, spreadsheets and uh, lots of different things for them. That was very interesting. Uh, about nine years. Yep. I wired um, big gas and oil facilities up in Fort McMurray, the oil and sands. I did um, big refinery plants. Um, I did three up there. And then, uh, yeah, um, like I said, after a while, um, between you get laid off between jobs because... Um, they don't want to haul you through the, you know, the whatever to the next job. So they lay you off for six months and then you go back and work for 
36 months like crazy and then they lay you off for another six months, seven months, whatever, and then you go back to work again. Government, the private sector, educational institutions, other organizations all have essential roles in helping industries and regions transition to improve job prospects and economic prosperity. What they should be doing and how they should be doing it are pretty important questions. To start with, though, what I wanted to know in talking to the guests in this episode is what they were able to do as individuals, how they're reinventing their careers, how they feel about the changes, the ingredients that are helping them shift, and what the rest of us can learn from that. I asked Carl, Natalie, and Clark about their work in oil and gas and what they liked about it. Yeah, so and that's what uh, the company I worked at, they thought it was easier to hire chemical engineers and teach them how to code than it was to teach a software engineer chemical engineering. Yeah, and so when I started, uh, there was it was a small company when I started. I think I was employee number 11. And and it, it was great. Like I, I loved working in a, a smaller team like that and being able to use some of that. And, it, you know, in a small team like that, you kind of touch on everything in the company. And so, you know, there was times where you know, I was in charge of the manuals and the, the writing of documents. And, um, you know, I, I did some voiceover stuff for... Uh, some videos and, you know, it was just all, all kinds of things. So it wasn't all like hardcore engineering, but it was, it was kind of a little bit of everything. The part that I liked the most was just like solving a problem that doesn't have a solution when you start it. Like, it's not like I like need to go to a book and be like, okay, here's what I need to be doing. It's like, here's this real, like a technical problem that you have to use some science for and when you figure it out, it's like, oh, you might be the only person who's come up with that solution. That's like something that you made. And so kind of that creativity side of it uh, and like just working on something that's like a, a definite challenge was something that I always enjoyed when I'm like, that that's cool. Like I can do that and, and make it work well. And even to this day, like there's some things about that work that I miss and that I enjoy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was fun. Not enough to bring me back, but it was fun. Uh, what I liked about it was the it felt secure. Um, I was working, especially uh, especially in the work uh, company I was working for, was uh, it felt secure. They they had a long term vision, so uh, I I knew they were not gonna just uh, invest like crazy and then crash at the next uh, burst. You know, this boom and burst uh, that we see in Alberta. So uh, it felt secure, and, and it was. Uh, uh, I liked working with a lot of uh, smart people around me, really. You know, gives you a lot of energy and you learn a lot every day. As Carl, Natalie and Clark's work shows, oil and gas careers have been pretty varied. Although the industry has typically employed more men than women, it's also included careers in everything from engineering and geoscience to skilled trades, transport, finance, IT, administration and everything in between. Since 2014, a decline in energy commodity prices and an associated downturn, it's not just the energy industry that's been affected. Companies that provided services to the oil and gas sector have been as well, and towns and cities where a lot of economic activity benefited from the energy industry. Everything from food, restaurants to arts and nonprofits, all places that sold products and services to people employed in the energy sector or to companies in it, or where corporate or individual funding and donations had their sources in oil and gas. 
In short, while the industry was hot, a lot of things went well for a lot of people, and for government and public services through taxes and royalties. It says a lot about all the connected links and impacts between industry sectors and between people's jobs in a lot of different areas in a single region, and how they can be impacted even when they're not directly in the industry. Carl, Natalie, and Clark all took the time to think through and make career changes carefully for their own personal reasons or in relation to what's been happening in the broader industry. Here's what they do now. Now I am an elementary school teacher. What's interesting is that like you do get to do some more advanced things, but you also have more, with the younger grades, you have more flexibility and some more leeway. And because you teach, like for, for most of us, we teach everything. And so you can, you have that flexibility to like really dive into something and, you know, use it across everything. So it's like, well, sure, we're doing language arts because we're writing about this project we just did or, you know, making all of those pieces fit together, something that you can't really do in a lot of those higher grades. Yeah, I think that every grade has their own challenges that are unique to it. Uh, I, you know, when you're in there, you're kind of like getting to the point where the kids start to have their own ideas and opinions and thoughts on things. And you can have some really interesting, engaging uh, conversations and come up with, you know, some creative kind of that problem solving stuff that I liked about the other stuff. I can help them uh, come up with those on their own too. Uh, One thing that we worked on was coming up with like a a way to solve the problem of uh, irrigation was the, the task we were working on. And so, you know, starting them and seeing like, well, what, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, let's just run a pipe from the hose. Let's just run a hose. And it's like, well, okay, like we could do that, but let's try to get more creative. And so helping them kind of build up on that um, and, and kind of, you know, give them a little bit of like, okay, here's how this part works. Now, what do you think? And seeing some of what they came up with is really interesting for a, a kid who uh, doesn't think they're sciencey. And then you're like, all right, you're going to draw this garden and then you're going to draw in what you think the irrigation should look like. And you've got this beautiful piece of drawing with, uh, with a good scientific idea in it. And all of a sudden, they're, they're enjoying it. So it's great. For me, it's the outdoor, right? I'm now a, a, a hiking guide, which I'm an apprentice hiking guide. But um, uh, how could I say that? Um, I just started by wanting to be outdoor and connecting with the Alpine Club and leading trips and taking people out and it just build this, right? And taking courses and and determining, like, do I want to continue? Do you want to go more hardcore? Do you want to do easier? And just, you know, uh, and discovering things. So the hiking guide, well, for a day trip, you know, you welcome people, you present them. Uh, how the day is going to be and talk about the weather and the challenges maybe in terms of, you know, elevation gain loss. And you check that they have the right gear, the right shoes, which is not always the case. (laughs) You know, people come in July thinking it's like the uh, southern U.S. So they have very light shoes and we could have snow in the Rockies. So, um, so you talk about this and then off you go and you make sure everybody's got, you know, food and water and everything. And then when you go backpacking, you actually are on your feet from 6 a.m. and you go to the river and get water and boil water and make breakfast and wake your guests up and look after them. I feel actually <laughs> I'm like a mom to them. <laughs> I have ladies coming with their families and they want to do dishes. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm the mom. <laughs> 
Yeah. No. So and uh, yeah, you you really show where we're going on the map, and and you tell people about um, geology, about you know fauna, flora. You tell them stories that you are passionate about in these mountains. So make it interesting for them. Mm-hmm. We have prairies where we live, but we have mountains. And the wilderness of the Rockies is uh, um, it's pretty challenging. If you're, uh, you want to be on a trail and you want to know about the wildlife and how to act with the wildlife, we have bears, uh, not at every corner, not behind every tree, but we do have to deal with that. I have had um, German guests. And so I was happy to try to... Uh, Uh, practice some of my German, which I have not practiced in 10 years. But uh, yeah, it made it interesting. And, and they appreciate the effort, right? Yeah, so this past summer, I had people from uh, Korea, and, and the language barrier is actually a problem. I felt I wanted to communicate with people, you know, and their English was pretty basic for some of them. And uh, uh, so so it is an issue. So because, you know, you do communicate a lot with words, not only with gestures <laughs> they had people that could do the translation so we, it was a big group and there was two guides and yeah but it made it interesting too to to see their amazement you know different cultures coming to see the rockies makes you appreciate what you have in your backyard too that's absolutely amazing it feels like a privilege to take people out and show them my own backyard mm-hmm. your next career move is right around the corner and norquest college is here to help Our new Career Moves Professional Development Program will help you transition to new job opportunities. Funded by the Future Skills Center, we will provide one-on-one coaching, self-assessments, skill development and training, and up to $2,000 in available tuition credit. Our focus is your success. Make your next move. Apply today at norquest.ca slash career moves. While Carl transitioned from engineering to teaching elementary school, and Natalie went from a corporate office to work as a multilingual hiking guide in the Rockies, and I can safely say she's typically modest about the skills and background required to do that job well in a mountain environment, Clark added to his experience as an electrician and switched from working in the oil sands to solar energy, LED lighting, and regular electrical services through his own company, Meisner Electrical Contractors. Well, and then and then the oil and gas was going in the toilet too, and nobody was supporting that. So I just, like I said, I gave up on it, and um, I looked at well, housing's good and commercial, so get completely away from um, the the oil and gas and go 100% into um, renewables resources and commercial and housing and using the old system which is the uh, old grid system with the new uh, solar program to to back it up and and run with it so i uh, opened my own business and started um like like single dad four kids and doing everything i can to make life happen <laughs> my products are all reputable and they're all like my use national solar as my my um, product suppliers so Um, <laughs> you can't get much better than them. So I don't know. I, I, I really, really, my, my warranties are bar none better than anybody's. I, I have a 25-year warranty on my solar program, 10 years on my LED program, and two years on just regular labor and parts pieces put in, whatever, regular wiring. 
my hands have touched some very, very elegant and and aspire to do more. But, um, <laughs> you know, like I said, um, it, it's good to have the experience and whatnot and everything, but it, without the actual backing of the customers and the people knowing that, hey, I've got something that's really good and you guys should be, you know, looking out for this. Um, I give good deals and, and I, like I said, I, I've been trying to um, show people the difference between, you know, hey, this is on the grid, this is off the grid. Uh, yes, you still have to pay the transfer fees of, of your, your grid. Like, you know, you, you can't get away from that, but you can do certain things to make it less cost and or if not get away from it 100% where the electric company actually has to pay you. <laughs> but that's that's a little bit kind of in the gray area and the tricky part of things. And you know how people don't want to get to government, but yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like that. You, you have to do these power audits, and, and of course it's for the year. And when you take the power audit and you um, convert their... Um, to a solar grid, you, you take the power, and I'm allowed a 10% increase. So I take that 10% on the building that you, uh, what I've got power audit on. And then I go back through the building and put LED lighting through the whole system. I put um, new refrigeration, um, you know, um, low, uh, high efficient, low cost um, uh, appliances so that you can up your, your, or lessen your draw and up your amount of money that you're making, right? Um, I'm looking at these smart houses with solar shingles and so on and so forth that are really good ideas and that um, the houses are producing their own, their own um, um, power and, and not consuming as much and they're not leaving a big footprint and these are things that we really as a human species really want to happen uh, I'm, i've got four beautiful young kids and i want them to definitely have a, a planet left when we're gone and done right so i'm thinking that if we my resources and whatever we get to pool together and we make these um, solar and windmill and a pliable, plausible solution, um, people are, we're going to be stepping forward into a new era, a new phase, and, and people will be thanking themselves in the, in the future for having be able to have birds and, and animals and, and <laughs> trees and not be cooking everything just to make a dollar, like seriously. What these three guests have done isn't necessarily simple or easy. Often people need time to consider a change, get ready to leave an existing career, a company, colleagues, maybe even an identity of who they've been in a past role, especially when the change they're making happens in a tough way, like through layoffs. And even if it happens quite voluntarily and with optimism and a positive outlook, as with these guests. Often people need to take stock and really figure out what they want, what they're good at, what skills and talents they can apply to their next steps. It's where cross-pollination can come in, in combining different parts of people's backgrounds, maybe adding new skills and knowledge to reinvent into a new role. 
Carl, Natalie, and Clark all came to make their career changes through some pretty deliberate thought and deliberate steps about what they wanted to do next and why. Here's a little of their thinking and actions to make the career transitions they did. Uh, so I've, I've worked with kids in like a volunteer role for a number of years, but mostly mostly high school, not uh, elementary. And uh, I was looking for a new job probably, what would that been now? Three, four years ago? Probably four years ago. Um, and we started looking and there wasn't really a whole lot in the energy industry at the time. And so I started applying to just things that I thought, I was like, I have some transferable skills to like do this job. And I'd apply to like some job, like a nonprofit doing some sort of like tech thing because I was like, well, I've worked at a software company. Maybe they'll like that. And in the end, I'd apply to, you know, an energy industry job and a nonprofit job doing something entirely different. And I wouldn't want the energy job. I'd want to work for this company having some sort of positive impact. And so I said to myself, maybe you should figure out what you actually want instead of just randomly applying at every job that's out there. And so I thought about it, talked to some people. I've got uh, some close friends that are teachers and kind of came to that conclusion that it, it still lets me use what I enjoyed about the other work, some of that creativity uh, and kind of sharing some of my skills, interests and experiences with kids in a way that can you know, help them be engaged and interested and learn and um, just kind of work on some of those things. So that's that's how that started. So I, I went back to school. I uh, had a, have a very supportive wife, was, was okay with that. And uh, yeah, so two years of school later, I am officially a teacher. The way that it, it worked was um, to get into the program, you apply into like elementary or high school and because of the the types of courses I had taken previously, um, it didn't really match up for the high school route to be able to take any of those. Um, and so it just was, you know, I want to do it. I can get an elementary. Um, and, you know, you're in Alberta, you're qualified for both. In some provinces, you have to like, you're only qualified for elementary or second or high school. Here it's both. So. Um, we, I, I took that and obviously being in the elementary, I did my practicum in there and I really enjoyed it way more than I, especially like the younger grades. I've, I've always, you know, grade five and six, I was like, yeah, I, I definitely would enjoy that. And the first time I taught grade two, I did not think it would be something I enjoyed. And I spent six, six weeks in that class and, uh, and loved it. It was fantastic. Well, it's interesting because, you know, it's not like from one day to another that you become that other person. You actually build skills over time. You know, how um, I haven't been brought up going to the mountains regularly, but I have been brought up going to mushroom picking in the wood with my dad. So I'm very comfortable in the wood. And, and when you hike guide, you are in the forest a lot. So I know how some people are very afraid of going out the, in the forests, you know, uh, and I feel very comfortable there. I feel it's like my environment. So it all depends what you're accustomed to. So yeah, that makes that's a good point because I've been shown this environment when I was a child. Yeah, I feel comfortable there. Um, but I discovered the higher mountains later in life, really. 
In Europe, in Switzerland, yeah, for sure. And uh, uh, and here, definitely way more, yeah. I could not be or would not want to be an Alpine guide where the risk is way more, right? And and it's later on in life when you reinvent yourself, you're not going to tackle a challenge that's totally uh, out of your... Uh, uh, you know, it's just uh, way too high for yourself. So um, I've always wanted to, yeah. But I realized, you know what? What about we start with hiking guiding? And there's enough, you know, challenge to take people out and teach them how to um, backpack, for example, and what to pack and how to deal with wildlife, which people think there's bears everywhere, but it's not true. <laughs> Lots of different different things, you know. Well, I'm still building skills too. You know, uh, even last year I, I, I uh, took some people on mountaineering trips. And so you up the risk level compared to hiking guiding where uh, I have a certain scope of work and I cannot come out of that scope of work, which is very precise because of uh, different reasons. Um, if I wanted to... I'm just happy with this. I'm, I'm at this comfort level. I can pr um, keep doing uh, more challenging trips with for the Alpine Club as a, um, you know, a volunteer practice or with friends or with family. <laughs> but uh, the guiding is, it's a certain scope of work. It's easy to me. It's pleasant. I mean, beautiful sceneries. Obviously, hopefully it's not raining like every summer like this past summer. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it it helped me by challenging myself in different trips. It um, It helped me be comfortable with uh in a in a certain field where it's easier kind of a thing where the, where other challenges are, arise mm -hmm. how is the training yeah well at the time it was three days now it's two days uh, for the uh interpretive guiding and we have a, a big brochure i'm i'm quite interested actually uh, you know in flowers and mushrooms and everything we see on the trails and animals and birds so it's pretty easy when you're uh, you, you love uh, learning about that and sharing with others I had to um, actually go back. I did a little bit of okay. When I went to school in in university, we we learned about solar and other um, possible um, energies, right? And we learned about islanding and all that other good stuff. Now, that's a, as a journeyman electrician, that's what I had to learn. But then I had to go back and learn that all the bracketing and different um, roofing techniques, believe it or not. Um, I'm, a, I'm an electrician, not a carpenter. <laughs> but um, way back when I had my own roofing company, so I had a little step up on people. The thing was, it's we had to take a um, actual system and put it on, put it on the roof of, a, of an actual building and have a working system. So that's, um, it was part of the training there. Uh, I had to go and do that with Iron, Iron and Earth. Um, actually, we did that with uh, Gridworks. And um, yeah, it was it was a, a weeks of, of fun and of fun and learning. <laughs> like I said, the, the Gridworks um, program, that was really good and it put me a step closer to um, thinking, okay, well, actually, you know what? I, I didn't even think about I was going to have a business at that time. When I was doing the GridWorks program, I was doing it to um, get a job, a better, like to just upgrade myself, right? 
so I could get a job with, with another company, whatever. I didn't even think about um, opening my own company, but because my I have a, a disease that um, is very, very, um, in fact, it, 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 it took my mom's and my, and my grandma, grandpa's um, life at an early age. So I, I, with that challenge, like with, with the medical and the kids and um, I decided after, like they were asking me, are you gonna open a business? Are you gonna open a business? And I was like, no, no, that's just for a job. But then nobody would hire me. <laughs> So I said, okay, well, the heck with this. I'm just going to, for $125, get a business license. And because um, I had tickets for everything. Um, and then I went and um, I bought a, a work van um, specific for um, uh, trades. It's, it's, uh, it's got the shield and stuff in it, so it's an actual. And then got it all decorated up with, with decals and stuff with my name on it, went and got some business cards and started handing them out. And yeah, um, I, I give, give excellent, excellent warranties to my customers and my work is exemplary as far as they, they, they think I'm God because some jobs are, um, I, they uh, were quoted, uh, uh, one fellow quoted them this big number for um, the switchover for the LED lighting in in the Muscat Chiefs Medical Center, Health Center, is one of my big, and I'm still in the process of switching up the lighting from fluorescent to LED. But um, instead of, I think he quoted three weeks, I did the whole job in three days. Um, he very, very good, good man, and one of my best customers now. Just because there is no BS, there is when we go into a job, is um, very professional, very heads down, ass up, let's go, and and we work hard to make people realize that the jobs that people are doing for people doesn't have to be an expensive thing to to make it happen, right? And, and it really isn't like with the solar panels being, I think like the new ones now with the microinverter in the back are like $110 a panel. So like, which is crazy cheap. Like it's nothing like it used to be. So Carl, Natalie and Clark all did additional training to add to their skills or get certified to take the next steps in their new careers. There's lots more to it though. In part two of this episode on career reinvention in the oil and gas industry, we'll hear more about that transition process, what helped it work, and where it can get complicated. Our guests give us their best advice, and we'll also talk about expert advice on what all of us can do to avoid getting stuck or going in circles when we're looking to make changes, and how to maximize the chances of being successful in taking new steps. Next episode, we'll hear too from Carl, Natalie, and Clark on the kinds of futures they're looking forward to in their new roles. In the meantime, you can hear more from Carl on the excellent Fourth Line Hockey Podcast, also on the Alberta Podcast Network, which you can find on podcatchers everywhere, as well as on fourthlinepodcast.com, albertapodcastnetwork.com, and at Fourth Line Podcast on Twitter.
If you're interested in connecting with Clark on solar or electrical projects, you can find Meisner Electrical Contractors on Facebook, or you can connect with him through Clark Bull Meisner, M-I-S-N-E-R at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We always appreciate your time and ears lent to this show, which you can find at crosspollination.co. Join us next time.